Tonight I'll be preaching from the book of 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 and one verse, verse number 19. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19. The Bible says, And we know that we are of God, and the world, the whole world, lieth in wickedness. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for the great and glorious salvation that we have received because of your shed blood on Calvary's cross. Dear Lord, we are so thankful for your precious gift, for your blood that was shed, your body that was broken, so that we can have life and have it more abundantly. Lord, may we never forget your sacrifice and may we live our lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable knowing that it is our reasonable service in response to what you've done for us. Pray that you'll give me the words you'll have me to say, cleanse me of sin, empty me of self, fill me with your precious Holy Spirit, that I may preach what thus said the Lord. And may you be honored and glorified to everything that takes place and is said here tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. As we look around at our world at large, we look around at our own society, we can easily see if we're paying even some sort of attention that our world is being devastated by sin. And as we look around at the impact of sin on our lives, on our world, on our society, I must say that one has to have lost compassion for people not to be touched, not to be moved by the pain that sin is causing to lives, to families, to communities, to nations, to this entire world. One of the problems that we have as people in our response to the various situations that arise is that we tend to be reactionary to tragedy. And by that I mean that when something happens, a significant event that saturates the airwaves, the news, social media, we are bothered and alarmed and even angry for a while. And then we forget, goes into our rearview mirror, we move on, and we forget that sin will continue to destroy lives. You see, my friend, our concern for sin, as born-again believers, ought to be a defining characteristic of our salvation. Our concern ought not just to be evident when the effects of sin are evident. We ought to be concerned because we understand that sin, even when we don't see its effects, it is devastating. The Apostle John here writing in 
this epistle of 1 John, speaks to this matter of being distinctive as a born-again believer. And as we have looked at here in this final chapter for quite some time, we have observed within this chapter proofs of our salvation. And one of these proofs is the issue of being concerned about sin. You see, my friend, God has rescued us from sin. And when you are born again, you have a consciousness. You have the Holy Spirit of God that brings even greater awareness and enlightenment of the devastation of sin. And so it ought to be a distinctive characteristic for a born-again believer to have a genuine and healthy concern for sin. And so we have been examining this character trait, if you will, this proof of our salvation for the last few weeks. And we have observed in verse number 16 and 17, as it relates to being concerned about sin, why ought we to be concerned? Because of the seriousness of sin. My friends, sin is the most problematic matter or issue regarding our existence. There is no problem that is more devastating and destructive to our human existence than the problem of sin. As a matter of fact, sin is the root cause for every problem known to man. That makes it a serious problem. There ought to be seriousness regarding sin. But notice in verse number 18, I'm so glad that as born-again believers, bless God and thank God that those of us who have been rescued from the bondage of sin, we ought to be so intimately acquainted with the solution for sin. Amen? At verse number 18, he says, we know. There are some things that we ought to know. That whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. We have the solution. We don't have to walk around, throw up our hands in frustration, wondering what do we do now? God has saved us. He has given us the solution for sin. It is evident in our own lives if we are born again. So that concern for sin ought to be there because of the seriousness of sin. Thank God we've been given the solution for sin. But tonight I want us to notice in verse number 13, it's one thing to be aware of the solution, verse number 19 rather, but thank God because of our personal experience. Notice verse number 19 speaks to the fact that we have been saved from sin. Do you know that I know personally of situations where there have been people who didn't know Christ, but knew of the solution for sin because they've seen it in his word, they didn't experience it themselves, and they witnessed to somebody else, and the other person got saved, and they were not saved. Because they had the solution, but they were not. They didn't have, they didn't have it applied to their lives. 
And so verse number 19 speaks to the fact that we have been saved from sin. Now look at what it says here. I want you to see three things in this verse that we can take away from this verse. And this ought to be something that encourages every born-again believer. Understand, first of all, that we have a privileged position. Notice what John says. And he says it with such confidence and conviction. And we know. You know, so many people walk around and they say they're living the Christian life. And you ask them if they're going to go to heaven, they say, but I'm not sure. There's some things that we ought to be confident about. That we know. He says, and we know that we are of God. What a blessing. You know, people are proud. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm saying that in a, in a constructive way. The people are proud if they are related to important people. Be it a president, a prime minister, a king, a judge, a famous person, a governor. And oftentimes people are, hey, I, I, that's my cousin. That's my son, my daughter. Whether they have a good relationship with them or not. Just to know I am related to this person of significance. Well, my friend, when it comes to being born again, understand and embrace the privilege that this verse says that, listen, we are of God. Amen. We are born again by the Spirit of God. Understand that this is a big deal. This is not a light matter to be of God. Understand that we are as Ephesians, as it is listed, we'll look at some verses here. I want you to notice, turn with me, just in case you might say, Pastor, you're making a big deal over a small matter. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. I want us to understand the privileged position to be of God, to be associated with God. Ephesians chapter 2. You see, to... to, to to understand the blessing, you have to understand where you came from. Understand that we have been rescued, we've been redeemed, we've been restored from a destitute place. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says, And you hath he quickened who were what? Dead in trespasses and sins. In other words, listen, you were doomed, you were dead, you were incapable of doing anything that would please God. Wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. The Apostle Paul paints a bleak picture because it was a bleak picture. But look at verse number four. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are 
shame. Listen, we were dead. We were incapable of being raised up and God raised us up. Look at verse number 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in what? Heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you are saved, you ought to get excited about those verses. This is a privileged position. Look as well at 2 Peter chapter 1. When you read these verses, I think sometimes we just slide over them like it's no big deal. But look at what Peter says. And Peter, understanding who he was, a fisherman with no purpose and messed up, now he introduces himself, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. To them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of, of Jesus our Lord. Now look at verse number 3. I want you to grab a hold of this. He says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Now look at verse number 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be, look at this, partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through loss. Now understand, listen, this is what's so amazing, so phenomenal about this privileged position that the God of the universe in his love and grace and mercy would give us sinful, wretched man to be partakers of, guess what, a divine nature. That's why when John says we are of God, he's not just saying, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm a child of God. He's also saying I have a nature that has been given to me that is like God's nature. You and I, in our human flesh, have been given something divine. Do we, do we grasp that? What a privileged position. Wow. We've been rescued. We've been redeemed. We've been restored. We've been revived. We have been renewed. And if that were not enough, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, we have now been called and made royalty. When I, when I picked the songs, I didn't even know that that song, His Life for Mine, would have mentioned being clothed, uh, listen, in royalty. Look at verse Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. He says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal 
priesthood and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You don't have to wait for the king to invite you to be a part of the royal family. You are already a part of the royal family. The king of kings and the lord of lords has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light and has clothed you with royal robes. That's the privileged position, my friend, that we have. That we are of God. Wow. That's the good news. But I want you to turn back to 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 19. And notice that this verse is not all good news. Because John says, we know that we are of God. That's our privileged position. But notice there is a sad situation. And the sad situation is that the whole world lieth in wickedness. So here we are. We have been raised up in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have this privileged position that we are able to enjoy. But at the same time, we are living in a world that's in a sad situation. Listen, this state of our world, listen, it is, it is depraved. It is destitute. It is one of desperation, devastation. Many are defeated. It, it, listen, we, this world in its st wicked state is doomed. We got tragedies upon tragedies. Every day, there's something to indicate this. We see nations at war. Communities at war. Communities at war. Families at war. Spouses at war. Children at war. Even churches at war. You may have heard of this diabolical situation where this man shoots children in this daycare in Thailand. Listen to what the Wall Street, Street Journal says regarding this story. A former police officer opened fire at a child care center in northeastern Thailand, used a knife to stab people, and continued shooting on the streets as he drove off, leaving at least 36 dead, including 24 children, police said. The gunman whom police identified as 34-year-old Panya Kamrab later killed himself and his wife and child, police said. Kamrab was discharged from the police force in June after being arrested for possessing methamphetamine, police said. He was scheduled to appear for a court hearing on Friday in connection with the drug possession charge country's national police chief, General Kiripapat, said at a news conference. My friend, 
We are living in a sin-sick world. Closer to home, we have all been devastated by this recent murder-suicide. But my friend, the evidences all around us. We should not be shocked. Listen to what the Bible says, speaking to this wicked world in which we live. Look at Romans chapter 1. I'm very familiar with this passage, so I won't read all the verses, but look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 28. After earlier in this passage, the Bible speaks of man being aware of the truth of God's word, but rejecting it. Verse number 28 says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things that are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. My friend, this is the height of wickedness. Look at another passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We must understand that this world is wicked. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And verse 12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. My friend, the world is not going to help us to do right. They're not going to give us a chocolate chip cookie. They're not going to wave their pom-poms when you try to take a stand for Jesus Christ. Why? Because it goes against this world's wicked agenda. On the other hand, look at verse number 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's not going to get better. It's a sad situation. While we have the privilege of being children of God, we must be aware of the wickedness of this world in which we live. But in closing, what, what should these realities stir up within us? When we realize the privileged nature of our position, when we realize the sad situation of the wickedness of this world, what should that cause to be stirred up in our hearts as born-again believers? It should bring about within us a renewed responsibility 
You see, my friend, that is why this all ties back to the concern regarding sin. Look at Romans chapter 9. This is what made the Apostle Paul such an effective ambassador for Jesus Christ. This is what gave him the passion, the drive, the determination. Because he had a healthy and genuine concern for what sin was doing to lives. Look at what he says in verse number 9. As you read these verses, see if you don't get a sense of a burden, a concern. Look at what he says. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. He says, listen, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to even testify on my behalf regarding what I'm about to tell you. That I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, who are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. What, what the Apostle Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, the same people who Jesus came to, he came for the whole world, but he says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Those who were uh, the children of God, who were set apart, who should have been the ones embracing Jesus, rejected him. He says, my heart is broken. My burden is for them that they would be saved. He says, I, I, listen, I would want for Christ even to accursed me so that they could be saved. Such was the nature of his burden and concern for his people. They were religious, but lost. Then look at what he says in verse number 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. My friend, when I look around, and when we look around at our society, particularly here in the Caribbean, and on Nevis and on Singes, listen, we have a host of people who are religious but lost. And we ought to be concerned. Can you imagine being in a burning building and you were able to escape, but you have knowledge of the fact that there were people inside? My friend, would it just be, hey, thank God I got out. Who got stuck, got stuck? That's what it's like to be saved and to be born again, to be in a privileged position, but not have the concern for those who are still lost and on a, their way to a devil's hell. Our renewed responsibility must be driven by the fact that we are concerned for the lost. 
That concern ought to be accompanied with some compassion. You see, my friend, it's not because we were good why God saved us. Look at what Jude, the book of Jude, and verse 20 to 22 says. It says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some having compassion, making a difference. Compassion. Recognize that sin is a disease that destroys. You know, sometimes I fear that we see lives that have been overrun by sin and we say, oh well, they're wicked. That may be so. But it's not because of our righteousness why we are saved. Compassion for the lost and compassion and concern ought to lead to a commitment. Look at Acts chapter 20 and verse 24 in closing. Back to the Apostle Paul. We see how he had such a burning desire driven by concern for the lost. And it's that concern combined with his compassion for people that produced a commitment. And he communicates this commitment to the church as they were trying to dissuade him from going into harm's way. And he says in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 24, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says, I'm so concerned about sin. I'm so concerned about what it's doing to lives that I am willing to commit my life to fulfill my purpose when it comes to sharing the gospel so that people can be saved. He's not even the threat of persecution, not even the threat of being destroyed by the religious leaders in Jerusalem. None of these things move me. What commitment? A commitment was born out of a genuine concern about what sin was doing to the lives of people. My friend, let it never be that we lose this concern for what it's doing to lives. What it does in our lives even though we are in a privileged position. Let's understand that sin is devastating. It is destructive. It is deadly. 
and because of the seriousness of sin, may it cause us to appreciate the fact that we have been saved from sin. And because we have been saved from sin, we have experienced personally and firsthand the solution. When you have the solution, you ought to walk with a certain level of confidence because as bad as sin is, we have the remedy. Let's be willing to share it. Let's be willing to encourage people to apply it to their lives because the solution works. And I pray that as we go forth into this wicked world, which is not going to improve, recognize that God has given us what we need to make a difference, to make an impact, to pull people from the fire and help them to be able to sit like us in heavenly places in Christ.